Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and is made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks. My name is Tim Harden, president of TFR, here with our executive director, Jeremy Kitchen. How are you doing today? Doing okay, man. So, uh, you know, let's jump right into it. Uh, Last week, of course, Abbott had the State of the State address uh, and he went over his emergency items. The significance of those is actually uh, we're going to be able to work on those items early. Uh, and so what are your what are your thoughts and kind of a rundown on the state of the state and Abbott's uh, priorities, Jeremy? I think there weren't too many surprises, right? A lot of it was stuff that we've obviously heard him talk about or kind of Republican leadership has generally talked about over the last year or so. Um, I think, you know, there's uh, the two we were keenly kind of focused on were related to, of course, property taxes and whatever form school choice would would take. Um, you know, I think to kind of set the stage, it was, you know, it's important to point out that historically the, the state of the state address has taken place in front of a joint session of like the House and the Senate, right, on the House floor. Um, now, you know, that that's different last last session during COVID, right? Governor Abbott opted to have it in a remote separate kind of site outside of the legislature. He decided to do that again this time, which I, I think the only relevant point there is that, you know, I think all this really necessitates is a letter, right? Like you obviously have to let the legislature know what it is you'd like to prioritize and what your vision is for the legislative session. Um, I think for those that maybe tuned into the state of the state address, it looked much more like a campaign uh, style event, similar to what we saw when he was running for re-election as governor uh, than anything else, um, you know, and so it, it is what it is. Uh, there weren't necessarily anything surprising. There were seven legislative priorities um, there. I'm happy to kind of walk through them if you'd like me to. Um, but it's, you know, the first one, which I think was most important to us, right, is is cutting property taxes. And I know we'll get more into that here in a second. You had ending COVID restrictions forever, which I think is somewhat interesting given his history uh, with his reaction to that as the governor. Uh, you had education freedom, which I'm sure we'll talk about. You had school safety. Uh, you had ending revolving door bail. He's had bail reform previously as emergency items. Uh, you had doing more to secure the border, which is kind of this open-ended thing. And then you had addressing the fentanyl crisis where his seven emer- named emergency items. So that's kind of where we were at. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, speaking to grassroots and, and activists, I think the one that was missing from there they were expecting to see was the gender modification issue, right? And so he was kind of uh, silent on that. Um, you know, obviously we're going to be focused on property taxes. Uh, we have probably some issues with the border, uh, uh, you know, and, and how they're using those funds and what exactly does that priority mean? What's going to be pushed? Uh, but I think, you know, for, for, uh, our purposes here, uh, we're going to zero in on the property taxes and we just want to show a couple clips. We want to show him talking, uh, you know, at the state of the state and also a previous, uh, clip of his, uh, his debate with Beto O'Rourke, which we've showed many times. Uh, and just kind of comment on that. So let's take a look at those real quick. As I travel across our great state, one thing I hear loud and clear, property taxes are suffocating Texans. We must fix that this session. Hardworking Texans produced the largest property, our largest budget surplus in Texas history. That money belongs to you, the taxpayers. 
we should return it to you with the largest property tax cut in the history of the state of Texas. Working with Senator Huffman and Representative Bonin, we have all proposed using $15 billion to cut property taxes. Now we must ensure that it provides lasting property tax relief. To get that done, cutting property taxes is an emergency item this legislative session. The campaign team has seen, said since taking office, property taxes have been reduced by $18 billion. Yet those reductions have not kept pace with rising property values that increase the taxes homeowners pay. How do you solve this problem without introducing additional revenue streams? You have 30 seconds. Sure. So one way that we have reduced property taxes is through those homestead exemptions. Uh, another way that we've done it is by buying down uh, the property tax rate at the school district level. And what I propose to do with this 13 $0.5 billion, if not more, is to drive down those property tax rates even further. My goal is to eliminate the school property tax that's imposed in the state of Texas so that people can genuinely own their own home without being taxed out of it. Yeah, so, you know, that was interesting. I don't know that it's really any surprise, right, that he, of course, mentions it. He talked about several times to include in his inauguration speech the providing the largest property tax cut in Texas history. We've talked about this several times. What I, I think the big takeaway here in the comparison between both of those clips is that he decided not to, in the state of the state address, continue the line of putting Texas or Texas taxpayers right on a path to elimination, which, of course, for our purposes is extremely important. Um, as you know, we talk about tons of stuff related to not only providing relief, that's great, taxpayers need relief, but they need permanent relief, right? Something that that gets them out from under this kind of growing burden um, if you will, um, especially what, what we've seen over the last few decades. And so it's a little concerning uh, that he did not mention that as an emergency item specifically, or at least mention it when he was talking about property taxes, only because, as we've talked about before, I think we talked about on last week's episode, you know, I think the way to think about the state of the state address is Abbott has the bully pulpit, right? He kind of sets the tone and the narrative for the legislative session. And so by not including language like that, um, it makes you wonder if he's kind of giving cover to lawmakers to to not have to uh, do anything other than, you know, what was appropriated, right, uh, in the current or what is proposed to be appropriated in the current budget proposals. Yeah, I think not that we didn't see this whole thing coming, but um uh, you know, we played that clip over and over again from the campaign where he specifically said, you know, my goal is to eliminate property taxes. This is not the first time he's said that. He said this years back in the past. He's retweeted and answered tweets saying, yes, you can't own your property if you're paying property taxes. And the only way to own your property is uh, to end property taxes. Right. And so. Um, this is very common with most politicians. Uh, you have campaign rhetoric and then you have what they actually do. And so, you know, the, the reasoning behind us playing that clip over and over again is we suspected that this was simply just campaign rhetoric. Now, granted, you know, to be fair, we're just starting the session uh, and we still have a really good chance at eliminating property taxes and putting ourselves on the path. It's just unfortunate uh, to your point, right, that he has the bully pulpit. And so he has 
the ability to control and to move the legislature in the way that he sees fit. Because, you know, as many people are also know, he has the sole authority to call special legislative sessions if they don't get his priorities accomplished. And so um, the fact that he did not mention a path towards elimination does not bode well for that. It's going to take some really strong, uh, courageous uh, people in the House and in the Senate uh, to get this across the uh, the goal line so uh, we can actually get this done. Um, but, you know, he did mention uh, yet again that that awesome phrase, you know, the largest property tax uh, you know, cut in history. And uh, and actually wrote an article on that this week. Uh, and of course, we've talked about this ad nauseum as well. Uh, and they continue to use this $15 billion number. And just want to talk uh, really quickly and kind of break down some numbers for, for our listeners. You know, the $15 billion is, is not intellectually honest. Uh, it's using $5.3 billion in old compression from 2019. This um, it brings us to about nine point seven. In actual tax relief of that 9.7, of course, 3 billion is a homestead exemption increase, uh, which is inferior, mainly because that increase is going to disappear within a few years, if not the very first year uh, when home appraisals go up, especially if they stay at that 10% cap. Uh, average home in Texas is 300,000. Uh, 10% of that is 30,000. Guess what the homestead ex exemption increases? 30,000. So that's going to get washed away really quick, and they're going to have to come back and just keep adding homestead exemptions, which is why we're pushing that the uh, rate compression is the Cadillac of property tax reform. Uh, this is what we need to be doing. We need to be all compression. Uh, and the and the, the last point I want to make is uh, you know, when we use this, you know, hit biggest historical tax cut in Texas history, they are operating off of a tax cut from 2008. It was really passed in, I think, 2007, went into effect in 2008. And uh, it basically used $14.2 billion in tax relief. And so this is the number they're trying to beat, which is why they're trumpeting that $15 billion number. The problem is, one, we're not at $15 billion. We're actually at 9.7. And two, when we actually add an in inflation or adjust for inflation because 2008 was a long time ago, um, we get closer to 20 billion in tax relief. And so technically, you know, they adjust all their office budgets for inflation. They adjust salaries for inflation. They adjust everything for inflation. But for some reason, they're not adjusting this for inflation because it's easier not to. Uh, so if we're fair and we adjust this for inflation, the target is $20 billion. At 9.7, we are 10.3 short. Uh, and this also uh, brings in another problem, uh, the breaking of the constitutional uh, spending limit, uh, which we don't know if there's, um, you know, want to do that. It doesn't seem like they want to, but of course, we're in favor of that. Yeah, I think you speak to a few things there, right? He could have very easily, outside of, you know, saying that he wants to put us on a path to elimination, there are bills filed right now to literally do just that, right? And of course, he's continuing to parrot the kind of the $15 billion line as you talked about, right? And that, you know, it's important to say is that's what's in the proposed budget. That budget hasn't been passed or anything as of yet, right? So those numbers could change. Certainly, they could go up or down. Um, you, you mentioned the spending limit. Obviously, there is uh, consideration of that, they do have some wiggle room to get up to that limit. But even so, as we've talked about previously, we're perfectly supportive of them busting that limit to get us to the number that's necessary to provide actual relief. It'd be probably the only thing we'd say uh, we should bust the limit for, right? And I don't know that you'd find a taxpayer who's opposed to busting the spending limit for the purposes of getting relief back, right? Or their own money back as a surplus. 
I think it's worth noting too, you know, you saw in the clip, he talks about, he mentions the budget surplus being the taxpayer's money. And then like the next sentence talks about only giving half of it back to him. Right. And the property, the biggest, the, the alleged biggest property tax cut in Texas history. What's not shown in that clip, but what was next in the speech was he immediately pivoted to infrastructure spending. Right. Uh, which we talked about previously um, is not necessarily a concern. We get it right. The, the state of Texas is growing. And with it, you know, a probably proper function of government is to provide inf- infrastructure. But there's already other revenue streams that fund infrastructure projects to include money that came from uh from the U.S. Congress, right? Uh, already taxpayer money being allocated for that purpose. And so anyway, I say all that because we are, we're pretty early on in the session. You know, now, of course, having had the agenda, right, kind of marched by, by Abbott, technically lawmakers can jump on the opportunity uh, to, to uh, actually consider um, any of these, these items before the bill filing deadline, which is March 10th. Uh, the question is, will they actually do that or kind of continue, as we've seen so far this session, uh, to delay? It's worth noting, obviously, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, the ha- Texas House has not referred any bills to any committees as of yet. The Senate done some. Uh, you know, today will be the last day in which they convene this week. And, uh, you know, we'll see if they actually do any of that. You've had a few, not all committees have even organized and met uh, yet. And so there's very obviously we're continuing the tradition, at least in the Texas House, of kind of slowing, uh, slowing how we approach these things. So. Yeah, you know, uh, I say often when I speak that time is the worst enemy of a bill. And, you know, typically those who are paying attention, this is the accusation that's thrown out of the house is we slow walk, we slow walk. Uh, We do have emergency items now. We can be moving on things. And, of course, the closer and closer we get to April, right, Uh, if we don't start committees and we're not able to get things out to calendars that has that 30-day rule, you know, the closer we get there, the less and less time they have. And so... Uh, you know, I know that uh, I believe what Tenderholt and Slayton made a big deal out of uh, getting to work this last go round. Um, uh, they have a point. They have a point. Uh, you, with time is ticking away. We're at what, like 40, 44, 45 uh, in, in session right now out of 140 days. And so we're we're already getting close, you know, with, within a few weeks of the halfway mark. And of course, uh, that doesn't even count all the, the deadlines that end in May. So you actually don't get all of session to deal with, you know, House and Senate bills. Uh, there's deadlines on all of this stuff. Um, so uh, let's let's transition to uh, local debt. We've had a lot of exciting bills uh, filed. Uh, we have a major problem with local debt in Texas, and you just wrote an article about it. So why don't you explain your article? Yeah, sure. So we had, a, you had another fiscal watchdog organization, Truth and Accounting. I believe this was the seventh year they've done this. They provide a report called the State of the Cities or Financial State of the Cities Report. Um, so they just released that for 2023. Uh, we wrote about this last year too, but they've obviously updated that. Um, and what they do is they rate the top 75 right? Most populous cities in the United States. Uh, nine of those belong to the state of Texas. And so uh, what, what was interesting um, is they pointed out, right, they kind of divide into two, um, two pockets. They have the what they call sinkhole cities, and then what they call sunshine cities. Sinkhole cities are basically, you know, cities that do not have the ability, uh, they do not have the revenue, i.e. tax money coming in to pay for their debt obligations, right? Uh, things that they are, that they're spending money on. And then you have what's called sunshine cities, which, uh, which are fiscally responsible generally, um, and have enough of that revenue to pay for um, the things in which they've, they, they allocate. And so, um, you know, Texas has 
has nine cities that were uh, included in this report. Six of them are what they considered sinkhole cities, and three of them are what they consider sunshine cities. Um, I think the things worth noting here is the largest cities in Texas, this includes San Antonio, Fort Worth, Houston, Austin, Dallas, right, are all sinkhole cities in this report. Uh, granted, they've gotten slightly better than, or most of them have gotten slightly better than last year, uh, but they all generally have an immense amount of debt. Um, and, you know, in the, in, the, in the article, we divide that out by the, uh, what that debt is per taxpayer. Um, that that resides in that city, that should be concerning to folks, right? Because uh, they're making promises to things that they have no ability uh, to allocate money for. Now, Texas also has three sunshine cities. Those include the city of Plano, Corpus Christi, and Arlington. Those are all cities, very large populous cities that have enough money uh, to uh, to pay for uh, what it is they're allocating. And so, of course, we should highlight um, those as well. But, you know, out of those nine cities, right, the vast majority of the population in the state of Texas reside in those cities, um, especially the six we talked about that are uh, just complete indebtedness. And that should concern taxpayers, um, you know, that you know, we're talking about, we, we can't talk, we were just talking about property taxes. We can't talk about eliminating or getting rid of property taxes without also curtailing and figuring out the government, uh, the local government spending um, issue. Obviously, Property taxes are levied by local governments, and this is a good example of just how terrible that problem is here in Texas. Yeah, I, you know, we we say often we don't have a revenue problem in Texas; we have a spending problem in Texas, and this is more apparent at the local level than it is at the state level because we have you know spending controls now, especially with the latest spending cap uh, placed on the state by Senator Kelly Hancock last go round, which which gave us uh, this massive surplus, or, or at least partially gave us this uh, this surplus. Uh, and so I think a lot of people don't understand just how out of control cities are, and that you know if we you know we're seeking to pay down all of the debt that we have uh, come up with cities, we would be insolvent as a state. That's how bad it is. I want to say we're fifth or sixth uh, highest debt in the nation. It's really bad. And and uh, this is basically because the cities have very little um, controls placed on them for their spending. Of course, we have, you know, rate caps, you know, HB3 kind of lowered, lowered the cap at which they can raise rates. Um, but uh, there's so many loopholes at the local level. We we wrote multiple articles about you know the no new revenue rate and the voter approval rate and the games they were playing with people, putting out notices saying, "Hey, we've lowered your rates," but just you know not mentioning that their taxes are still going to go up because uh, the the levies were so massive. And so we need more transparency at the city level. And quite honestly, you know that's something we've been talking about lately is we need to place spending caps on the local level. If if it's good for the state, it's good for the cities. These cities should not be spending out of control. And of course, one of the bonuses of pe- placing caps on the cities, which I believe uh, Briscoe Kane has a bill uh, that he's filed for, for this, it would actually produce surpluses. And then we could play the same game we're playing on the state level, which is use those surplus dollars to pay down debt and to, and to make us uh, actually solvent and to start dealing with property taxes on the city level, on the county level, uh, not just school MNO as well. And of course, we have also talked about those reforms of the voter approval rate being moved down to that no new revenue rate. Uh, I know it's kind of confusing, you know, talking about all these different rates, but essentially what that means is if they wanted to raise the tax levy or total taxes one cent, raise your taxes one cent, they would have to come and get voter approval 
for that. It's a wonderful reform. And I think, uh, you know, especially when it comes, like you said, to eliminating property taxes, it's going to take a lot longer if we don't rein in these out of control cities that are just burdening us with debt. And so we have to make this a priority this session. Uh, another thing we'd like to see is an MO freeze. Uh, this would assist us in, in paying down MO faster. And so this, we need to have a strong focus on local government fiscal responsibility. Uh, they're not going to do it to themselves. They've proved that time and time again. So it's incumbent upon our leaders at the state to place those caps on them so we can prosper in Texas and so we can have a better fiscal policy for all Texans. Yeah, I think the, the last thing I'd say on this is it's important to note, right, especially, and they, they talk about it in the report, most of these debt issues, especially in these very, very large cities, right, the Houston, the Dallas, right, are the, it's the unfunded liabilities that come with their pension systems, right? So these are like fire police, city employees, right, uh, that sort of thing. And then uh, it's the it's the healthcare costs, right, providing these kind of like employment costs uh, for these folks. And I think, you know, there's obviously, we've, we've laid out all the concerns, but it's extremely concerning. Uh, that you have local government jurisdictions, right? These cities that are making promises to employees knowing they do not have the revenue, right? To provide for those things, which all of this, right? By the way, much like it does on the federal level, translates to kicking the can down the road and hoping that future generations are going to pay for it. Yeah, of course, you know, when it comes to pensions, we have uh, the same problem at the state. Uh, ERS and TRS care constantly being fiddled with. Ultimately, my opinion is, you know, a pension is an archaic form of retirement. It doesn't make sense. It's typically a Ponzi scheme, which is what's going on in all of these. And so you just keep paying more and more, much like Social Security, right, where it just goes upside down. And unless we have some people who are courageous that either, you know, start transitioning retirement to a 401k or a more modern uh, method, we're just going to keep sinking because they're going to keep having to, you know, deal with these promises. So whether we grandfather people in or or whatever, something needs to be dealt with. We can't just keep kicking this can down the road. Um, I think the last thing we have is we finally got a bill for the big corporate welfare program in Texas. So uh, 313s are back as we expected they would be. Lozano, our representative Lozano, uh, brought the bill. Uh, to, to our knowledge, it looks like it's pretty much the exact same thing. There's not a whole lot changing. Uh, it is it is uh, Chapter 313 abatements, which essentially provide uh, property tax relief for corporations, multi-billion dollar corporations typically, uh, usually for spans of you know five, 10, even longer periods of time. This, of course, takes money from taxpayers and gives to these corporations. We've opposed it. Both parties oppose corporate welfare, which is why this program actually uh, expired on December 31st of last year. But here we go. I'm assuming the lobbyists have been doing work. They want those free state dollars. And so here we are. We're pushing again for the largest corporate welfare program in Texas. It's a bad deal for taxpayers. And of course, uh, we're going to oppose it. This is taking the form of House Bill 2421. You, you mentioned, of course, by uh, you know State Representative J.M. Lozano. I should note here, obviously, he scores his deplorable score on our own fiscal responsibility index. This is someone who historically, during his tenure as a lawmaker, has switched between Democrat and Republican parties a few times, right? Um, and he's been the guy who knows if this is kind of the official bill blessed off on by leadership, but the guy that decided that not only in a session when tax Taxpayers are crying for tax relief, property tax relief, but that he wanted to file the bill that 
gives relief to corporations and businesses and shifts the burden to property taxpayers, right? Who are going to have to pay for what's missing there. It's not like the local government is getting rid of the spending it's projecting. It's, and so it's just, it's it's absolutely insane to me as we've talked about several times before you want to give, you know, a, a, a property tax abatement to people, Provide relief for all taxpayers. That includes these businesses, right? Get rid of the stupid tax. Um, at the end of the day, it's insane to me. It is unclear whether or not, although we've heard, right, a, a version of this will also be filed in the Senate. It's unclear whether the Republican leadership in both chambers bust off on this. I'll tell you the other thing that's somewhat concerning is that in Abbott's state of the state address, before he even got into all of these specific emergency items, he made mention of the importance of providing, right, incentives to local governments, economic incentives to local governments uh, because they're quote unquote hurting. Uh, you know, and so I, you wonder if that gives cover to something like this. As you said, right, the legislature chose not to continue this last cycle. And this program, the largest corporate welfare program in, in the state of Texas, expired December 31st of last year. Um, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, they chose not to continue it, but now suddenly we want to potentially revive it. Uh, taxpayers should absolutely be concerned about it. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny when when lawmakers or politicians start using the word incentive be scared um you know there there are incentives that do not involve you know governments picking winners and losers but almost always when the government talks about incentives what they're talking about is stealing from taxpayers and giving to multi-billion dollar international corporations many of which currently you know receive subsidies or corporate welfare facebook tesla uh, a lot of kind of silicon valley types uh, that have been caught and continue to silence conservatives uh, and Republicans. And so if, if we're concerned about freedom of speech, why on earth are we giving tax dollars to corporations who silence uh, conservatives and conservative voices and promote woke agendas and all of the other things we're dealing with this legislative session, both, both in the state and nationally? Uh, I was on the Liberty Cafe, uh, and uh, I believe it's airing on Wednesday uh, with Van Skin and Bill Peacock. And of course, we talked about this uh, at length, go check that out. It's a, it's a great podcast. Uh, but we talked about incentives and, and what actually brings people to Texas. And I cited an article I wrote in the fall uh, where they, uh, there was a U.S. study done nationwide of people who receive kind of these incentives. Uh, only about 25% of them even took that into account uh, for relocating their business. But then there was an also more relevant study where in Texas, I think this is 2018, uh, they looked at 80 of these Chapter 313s, uh, businesses that received them, and only 15% of them actually considered that in their relocation. And so people are not moving here. Businesses are not moving here from other states because we're giving them tax dollars. A very small portion of those actually even care about that. Of course, if you give them free money, they're going to take it. But people are coming to Texas because we have less regulation than other states. And quite honestly, I made the point of culture, uh, our, our culture. People are fleeing California uh, because of 
the cultural and social issues over there. Uh, and they're fleeing coming to a state where you, we have freedom of speech, or at least more than they do, right? And we have uh, less government infringement. Of course, we have improvements we can make in Texas. Uh, and I'm sure we could talk for an hour about that. But by comparison, you know, if you're living in California, if you're living in Oregon, you're living in New York, Texas probably looks pretty good, especially if you own a business and you're getting taxed to death. Um, coming over here, they don't need an incentive. They don't need us to give them hundreds of millions of dollars in property tax abatements. Uh, they're coming here, they're fleeing. And so the best incentive is to limit the size of government and to lower taxes for everyone. Uh, and then we will see the exact same thing, if not more uh, people coming to Texas uh, for our culture, for our economy. Uh, and that's the best way for a prosperous Texas, in my opinion. For lawmakers that you know that support these kind of programs, these initiatives, right? They constantly say, "Well, we have to compete against states like Florida, right? States that maybe have these incentives." And to your point, I think you're absolutely right, right? If we want to compete against them, then create or continue to create, right, an environment by which everyone prospers under that, right? Like you're going to attract people by having a very low regulation business climate, right? More so than you are by picking winners and losers in any specific program where they then have to lobby the legislature, right, to come and make sure they're included or lobby their local governments to make sure that they get this sort of thing. Um, it's, it's absolutely insane to me that we continue uh, to kind of perpetuate this, this false narrative. Um, to your point, right, are you alluding to those two studies, this false narrative that, you know, we need these incentives, you know, that are funded by taxpayers um, uh, or at least kind of put on the backs, bore on the backs of taxpayers uh, to, to do this, to attract the, uh, these businesses. All right. Well, I think that's all we have today. I want to remind everybody, we're still in that lull period. We're getting towards the end of it. Things are about to start heating up. We're going to start the committee process here in the next few weeks. I would assume by this time next month, towards the end of March, things are going to be rocking and rolling. So I want to remind everyone to sign up for our vote notices. You can go to texastaxpayers.com. You can sign up for our fiscal note, which is our weekly update. And then if you care about these bills, uh, we're giving you live updates and we're letting you know what we're going to be scoring. Some of these emergency items might be making it to the floor, honestly, within a few weeks. And so if you have not signed up for our vote notices, I encourage you to go and sign up uh, and you can check out your rep in the index section. Uh, and we just have a lot of really good resources there. And so we're excited that we're getting uh, into the thick of it. Uh, don't worry, things won't be boring for too much longer. Things are about to get wild and crazy over the next few months. And so uh, hopefully the legislature gives us some good things, not a bunch of bad things to talk about. But we appreciate y'all being with us this week. And we will see you next week on next week's Taxpayer Talks. Y'all have a good one. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. For even more content, head over to our website, texastaxpayers.com, where you can find all of our written content, the Fiscal Responsibility Index, and a whole host of resources that can help you navigate the already ongoing 88th legislative session. Make sure while you're there to subscribe to the Fiscal Note and Vote Notices to stay informed about issues that affect your wallet. Thanks.